Amen. Good morning. Welcome. Thank you for being with us, whether you're gathering with us this morning indoors, uh, outside here in our parking lot or online. It is our privilege to have you with us this morning. Couldn't help but laugh a little. They walked into my office about 10 minutes ago and they said, do not jump onto the stage this morning, onto that trailer. I said, okay, uh, why? Uh, well, there's ice all over the trailer. We put some salt down, but do not jump. We don't want you to fall. So we've gone from 100 degrees in this parking lot to something that feels like about 12 degrees in this parking lot. And I think we've done everything in the middle, but actually it's chilly. Uh, but to be totally honest, the sun has come out and really helped a whole lot. As long as the wind doesn't blow, this is relatively enjoyable this morning for some of us. And for those of you that it's not, we're glad that you can be inside in our sanctuary. You can sit in the uh, comfort of your vehicle. Um, and even for those of you that are gathered with us online, we are so thankful for technology and the way that it allows us to be connected, even though we are separated in many ways. I am so glad that you're with us today. Um, uh, just by way of announcement, not much. The office is closed tomorrow, so keep that in mind. Uh, if you need something from the office, just uh, know that we'll be back around on Tuesday morning for that. Anything we can do uh, related to that. Uh, life groups continue to be postponed for the, for the time being. We will reevaluate in a few weeks and see where we are. Uh, next Sunday night, we do have a fellowship scheduled. It'll be outside, so we're going to do another bonfire. Start at 5.30 next Sunday night. If you want to bring a tailgate or a grill or whatever you want to do, feed your family uh, while you're here, that's fine. Uh, there will, we will have stuff for s'mores and things of that nature. But we do hope that you'll come and just enjoy uh, a nice uh, socially distanced fellowship uh, around, uh, a, it, I was going to say around a small campfire, but if it's like what we did last time, it was actually a large blazing bonfire. So uh, we will have a little bit of all of it. We'll, we'll have a couple of small campfires and a large blazing bonfire, so you can gather however you're most comfortable. Regardless, we're just so thankful that you're with us as we've come together. If you have your Bibles this morning, we are in the book of Exodus. We have been reading through the Bible together this year, so we're about, um, I guess this would make us just a little beyond two weeks into the reading of our Bible together this year. Uh, this past week, you finished the book of Genesis. Actually, if you've already done your Bible reading for today, you finished Genesis just this morning. And this week, we're going to be looking forward to the reading that you'll be doing in the book of Exodus. And so over the course of the next several days, you're going to cover uh, the ten plagues. Uh, you're going to cover Moses' call, first of all. Uh, then you're going to cover the ten plagues. And you're going to cover the actual Exodus from Egypt. And you're going to cover all of those things this, this week in your Bible reading. I'm going to read this morning specifically from Exodus chapter 12. And this is the, uh, the Exodus par excellence, if you will, the, the, the Exodus in a... Uh, uh, I guess if we a proper sense, this is the passage that grasps for us the actual leaving from Egypt. So stand with me, if you will, in honor of God's word. Stretch it out a little bit if you're outside with us. If you're already covered up and cozy under your blankets and you don't want to stand, we understand. But I'm going to read to you from Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 33. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened and their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks and their shoulders or on their shoulders. The people of Israel had the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry for clothing and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus the people thus they plundered the Egyptians. 
And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the, out of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt. For it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt, so that this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you'd speak to us through your word and this morning as we consider what salvation is, what this deliverance that is offered to us in Christ, that you would show us, Lord God, how it is that you bring about not only, or that you brought about, Lord, not only the exodus, the deliverance, the salvation of the people of Israel from Egypt, but Lord God, how it is that you bring about our salvation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so, as you jump into it, and I, I'll just remind you a little bit, what we're trying to do is in my preaching, and, and I do want to encourage you, if you fell behind, don't, don't give up, okay? So, if, if I t I'm telling you this morning, you're supposed to finish the book of Genesis. If you're sitting there going, Craig, I've only made it to like Genesis 30. Okay, don't quit. Just keep going, okay? So pick up where you are and do the best you can. If it takes you a year and a half to read all the way through God's Word, it's okay. You didn't fail as long as you complete the task. You understand? So let's stick with it. But if you're on task with us, if you've been able to keep up, then you finish Genesis, and starting tomorrow, you're going to begin in Exodus chapter 1. And Exodus is the picture of God's deliverance of His people from Egypt. Now, I told you I was going to try periodically through this to give you some some uh, signposts. Am I cutting in and out again? Some signposts to sort of hang the the big picture of the text on, or a skeleton, if you were, as it were, to sort of stretch the text upon. So if we can think about the Bible in large movements, then you've got uh, God created. Remember, we began right there. God created. In the beginning, God. So we have God before everything else. In the beginning, God created. How did God create? He spoke the world into being, all the things. The only thing that God got his hands dirty on was when he actually created man in his own image. You can imagine this picture where throughout everything else, God speaks and it comes into being. But when it comes time for God to actually create man and woman, God gets down on his, his knees, at least figuratively, gets his hands dirty in the dirt and makes his beloved creation, the crowning jewel of creation as man and woman are created. So God, in the beginning, God, God creates. Who does God create? God creates Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, of course, were bad listeners. That's what I taught my children when they were listening. Adam and Eve were bad listeners. They sinned. They failed. And as a result of that, um, there was a need for deliverance. So, uh, but, but God, even after that, what does God do? God is gracious and merciful. He promises them that there will come one who will destroy Satan. So we have, in the beginning, God, God created Adam and Eve. From Adam and Eve, we really move to the big story of Noah. So, Adam, uh, so all of mankind is sinful, um, really almost beyond repair. God says, I'm going to be done with all of them. God builds, and so Noah does what? Noah builds an ark. From Noah, we move on. To Joseph, well, Jacob, Isaac, uh, Israel, Isaac, Jacob, all those folks, all the Joseph, all the patriarchs, right? And God eventually brings all of them where into Egypt. And there, uh, this past week, you read the story of Joseph, how it is that God brought his people into Egypt with this one person that God used to bring about his good purposes. So Joseph is God's man in God's place at God's time. Joseph brings all of his descendants and, 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 and all of his family into Egypt. And it's there that God uses the country of Egypt as a sort of incubator for his people. And for a period of 430 years, the children of Israel multiply 
in incredible ways. What do we see happening? What was God's command to Abraham? What was God's command to Adam and Eve? What was God's command to Noah? What was God's command to Abraham and eventually to Isaac and Jacob and all the rest? God's command is be fruitful and multiply. But if you recall, we had that Adam and Eve didn't do their job as effectively as they should have. Even when Noah and his family got off the ark, maybe as few as 100 years later, the people are gathered in Babel and they're in Babel. They're not being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth. They say, we need to come together and stay as close as we can and God separates them. Well, God gets them to Egypt and there in that place they finally are fruitful and multiplying all because God has a purpose and a plan. And God's purpose and plan is for them to be fruitful and multiply there in Egypt so that God could then expel them out of Egypt and they could go forth and fill the earth. You understand how God is using all these things to bring about his good purposes. And so Exodus gives us the picture of the story. So we begin, we have this guy, Moses, right? And who is this dude, Moses? Moses is born in a pretty crazy way. Uh, All the people are supposed to, uh, all the young boys are supposed to be being killed according to the word of Pharaoh. Of course, uh, none of that's happening. They're preserving their life. Uh, The Bible teaches us that Moses was born after about three months. His mom couldn't conceal him any longer, so she put him in a basket and sent him out in the river just hoping something would happen. Maybe the right person would come along. Well, God, of course, orchestrates all these things. One of the daughters of Pharaoh sees this boy, brings him in, takes him as her own. And Pharaoh, Moses is raised in Pharaoh's house. Understand how important this is. That in Pharaoh's house, Moses would have been exposed to the greatest education that, that Egypt had to offer. That Moses would have been given opportunities to learn what it was to govern, what it was to lead, what it was to, 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 to um, oversee a people. Of course, as the story moves forward, Moses oversteps his bounds a little bit. He does something he shouldn't do. Uh, Moses has to leave town because Pharaoh is out to kill him. So Moses runs away. He encounters a man there and a woman. And this man gives Moses his daughter in marriage. Moses sojourns, use one of those good biblical terms for a little while in a foreign land. But then Moses is out tending the flocks one day. And there in the middle of the field, something crazy happens. He observes, I like the Bible says that, he observed a bush. Folks, listen, when I see a bush that is burning but is not consumed, I'm doing a little more than observing. Like, I'm gaping. What in the world is that, right? There's a gawking that's going on right here. So Moses does these things. And it's through that that God calls Moses to himself, to his purposes. And he says to Moses, I've got a plan for you. And God's plan for Moses is that Moses would go and stand before Pharaoh. And Moses would say, you will let my people go. Moses, of course, is a man of incredible faith. And so he says, absolutely, God, I'm your man. Whatever you know, he doesn't do any of that, does he? Moses is a, is, a, is a whiner. Moses is a coward. And so Moses says, oh, God, I can't do that. I've never been good with words. Don't make me, Lord. Who, what if they ask me who sent me? What am I going to tell them, God? And God says, really? Really? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm literally speaking to you from a bush. And you've got all these questions God says, Moses, I'll be with you. I'm going to give you these powerful signs. And then when Moses continues to whine, God shows just how graceful and kind he is. And he says, look, I'm going to do even more. I'm going to send your brother Aaron to go with you as your mouthpiece so you don't have to go by yourself. And it's in the midst of all that that Moses finally says, all right, I'll, I'll do it. And he goes and he stands before Pharaoh and he says, God says, let my people go. Well, God's already told Moses he's going to say no. He's not going to do it. He's not going to listen uh, God says, he's standing before Pharaoh. He says, Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says, I don't even know who you are. What are you talking about? I got nothing to say to you. I got nothing for you. No. How about that? There's my answer. I will not do that. Moses says, okay, well, just so you know who's 
running the show here. I'm going to show you a little something. And he turns the blood or the water of the Nile River into blood right there. Right there. And it's the beginning of these ten plagues that God's going to send on to Egypt. Because God says to Pharaoh, you'll let my people go or else. And Pharaoh continues to say, I won't. And I don't know who this God is, but he's got nothing I can offer. And so there's this, this power play between uh, Pharaoh's magicians and the God of Israel. In Pharaoh, you got to understand in in Israel, uh, in, in ancient Egypt, uh, in ancient Egyptian religion, Pharaoh was considered not just a king but a god. He was a deity, and so when Moses stands before Pharaoh and he says, "My God says, let my pe- these people go, let his people go," Pharaoh says, "I'm the God of Egypt. You need not worry about all of that. I got it under control." When the God of the Israelites, however, begins to flex. Suddenly, the religion of Egypt begins to pale in comparison. But the Bible says that Pharaoh is incredibly hard-headed. Hard-hearted is actually the word that the Bible uses. And so God sends ten plagues onto Egypt before Pharaoh finally opens his eyes and his ears and his heart to do what it is that God intended for him to do. Folks, how often does God have to shake us over and over and over again before he gets our attention? How often is it that we have to be told over and over and over again, and yet here we are? And so this morning we bring ourselves to the end of the tenth plague. And at the end of this terrible tenth plague, the Israelites have observed the very first Passover. Now the very first Passover was was a part of this, this tenth plague. God says to Pharaoh, I'm going to bring death on the firstborn among your land. But he says to the Egyptians, you will sacrifice a lamb and you will take some of the blood of that sacrifice and you will paint it across the doorposts and the lentils in your house. You will do that so that when the death angel comes to Egypt, he will see the blood of the sacrifice pass over the houses of my people and they will be preserved and safe. On the backside of this Passover, of this 10th plague, the Bible teaches us that God's deliverance of Israel is finally more than a spoken word, but it's an absolute reality. And it's here that we gain what I believe to be a pretty good understanding of how God saves one of the things that we need to understand about our Lord is that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the salvation that he give, gave to Israel is very similar and in many ways the same as the salvation that he gives to his children today. So how is it that God saves? Three things that we see. First of all, God saves miraculously. In the Bible, we read that the Egyptians were urgent to send them out. In fact, they were so urgent that they sent them out, and then they paid them to leave. Imagine this. Just some months prior, maybe as long as a year, probably not that long, though, just a few months prior, we've got a scenario where Moses walks in and says, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, I know, your people aren't going anywhere. Over and over and again, Pharaoh is uh, adamant that they will not leave. And yet on this day, not only does Pharaoh let them go, on this day they're saying, please go away. Please get out. Not only do we need you to get out here, we will pay you if you'll just leave us alone. Imagine Consider, if you will, the incredible turn that needs to take place. 
for it to no longer be you can't leave to we will pay you if you will just go away. This is how God saves. God's salvation is miraculous. When we think about our salvation today, after Jesus, the Bible often speaks of salvation as being born again or even to move from death to life. You know, in the comfort of our lives and the mundane aspects of living as a Christian, we can sometimes lose sight of just how miraculous God's salvation is. Jesus finds us sinful and as enemies of the faith, as, as his own enemies, and then he saves us completely, totally, and absolutely. I'm sometimes bothered by testimonies that downplay the miraculous nature of salvation, right? Oh, well, you know, God, I got, I got saved yesterday. Or uh, one day I just prayed and something happened. No, 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 no. When God saved you, it was miraculous. Heaven splitting, miraculous. Enemy to friend, miraculous. Death to life, miraculous. Splitting open the graves, bodies coming up, that kind of miracle. We miss it sometimes because we've grown so accustomed to it, so comfortable with it. A former member of our church passed away, but he used to say, I wasn't looking for God when he saved me. I was happy in my sin. God takes us from happy in our sin to reborn in him. Do you understand what a miracle of his grace that is? That he could take and give us a, a revulsion for the things that we once enjoyed. That he could take the things that we were satisfied with and make us dissatisfied and then do something even greater. Give us not a heart of stone but one of flesh. God saves miraculously. And folks, it doesn't matter how mundane your salvation story seems. Every soul saved is a miracle work of God. Every soul saved is a miracle work of God. Were you saved from a life of, 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 of crime and drug addiction? What a miracle it is for God to save you. Did you grow up in a Christian home where you never uh, experienced many of those things of the world? What a miracle it is for God to save you. Were you born in a place where you could be exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ so that you might be safe? What a miracle it is for God to save you. The next time you think that your salvation isn't that big of a deal, I want you to think about what it looked like for the Israelites as they walked out of Egypt. Just a few months prior, they couldn't have left had their lives depended on it. And yet in this day, the people come out and throw money and jewelry at them as they leave. Please just go. There's nobody that was walking out of Egypt that day that was seeing this as anything short of a miracle. How could this be? This is how God saves. God saves miraculously. The second thing we see is that God saves completely. Pharaoh was willing to make some concessions along the way. And this is what's important for us to understand. As we work our way through the story of the Exodus, through the, 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 the plagues and the interaction between Pharaoh and Moses, there were times when Pharaoh was willing to make concessions. So at one point is, well, the men can go, but the women, the children, the livestock must stay. 
Moses said, no, no, God says everybody is going. And then Pharaoh says, well, y'all can all go, but the livestock must stay. And Moses says, no, 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 God says let everything go. Folks, do you know that when God saves you, he didn't do a halfway job. He saved you completely, completely. In this passage, we see that they didn't sort of halfway leave Egypt. The Bible says that they and their children and their livestock and all of their possessions walked out with their head held high. God delivered them completely. When God saved you, he didn't do a halfway job. He saved you completely. You no longer need to live under the tyranny of sin. What does this mean? The sins you have committed have been forgiven, every single one of them. I don't care what the devil says to you. There is no sin in your past that is stronger than the blood of Jesus Christ on your life. You have never sinned so significantly that you could undo the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. The blood of Christ is that powerful. Not only have your sins been forgiven, heaven is now your home. Heaven is now your home. Does this earth sometimes feel, does this world sometimes feel like it just doesn't fit us? If we're followers of Jesus, it doesn't. This is not our home. Heaven is our home. We're always longing for more, a little bit uncomfortable, knowing there's got to be something more. That something more is eternity with our Father in heaven. Not only have your sins been forgiven, not only is heaven now your home. How about this? Incredibly, you've been, I love this, you've been set free from the sins that have been committed against you. You are not chained and controlled by the sins that have been committed against you. It's possible that you live the kind of life that has experienced terrible things that have been done to you. Do you know that no matter what anyone has done to you, they have no control over you. You belong to Jesus Christ. God is now your Father, your loving, gracious, kind, heavenly Father. And when He saved you, He didn't take shortcuts. So we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. Not one bit, not one jot, not one tittle, not one iota. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We continue on in Romans chapter 8 and we read, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No! Emphatically, no! Paul answers his own question. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the salvation that we have. This is what it looked like when the Hebrews were dis destroyed, sorry, when they were delivered from Egypt. It was a complete salvation. Everything left when they left. Egypt had no control over them any longer because God had set them free. This is what it looks like for you when you've given your life to Jesus Christ. 
when she's when Jesus saves you, he saves you completely, totally, absolutely. And there is now, therefore, no condemnation. Now, it's worth pointing out that the process of salvation is not always easy or comfortable. In fact, as God works in the lives of his people, it is sometimes the case that our lives get a little worse for a while instead of better. This happened in the Exodus story, didn't it? You'll recall that the first time that Moses presents himself to Pharaoh and he says, I need you to let my people go. And Pharaoh says, oh, so y'all are, are bored? You got a lot of time on your hands? You want to go out into the wilderness and you want to worship your God? Well, if you got so much time on your hands, then apparently you're not busy enough. Here's the story. You're going to continue to make bricks for us, but we're no longer going to provide the straw. You see... Pharaoh wants them to understand, and this is what you need to understand. Pharaoh says, I am your king. I will make the rules. You will not leave, and when it's all said and done, you will remember who is in charge. God doesn't really take too kindly to those sorts of things, though. Folks, when we give our lives to Christ... When we are delivered, sometimes that process of deliverance can be painful as God is extracting us from our past, extracting us from the grip of Satan and the hold of sin. It's possible that there may be times when it will seem like you're making bricks without straw, but can I tell you that in the midst of all of that, there is hope on the other side. Because when God saves you, he saves you completely and he sets you free totally and finally this morning god saves all who will come we sometimes miss this in the story of the exodus but there in in exodus chapter 12 as we read just a few moments ago the bible teaches us that moses left with a mixed multitude a mixed multitude this was not a homogenous group this was a collection of varied individuals. The Bible teaches us that as it relates to God's salvation, God saves all who will come. God is saving for himself a group of people, but not a group built on ethnicity or race. This group's identity is Christ and Christ alone. Tomorrow we observe MLK Day as a reminder that we as a country must move or must continue my notes are really bad right there that we as a country must continue to move forward in race relations and in and in, in combating racism but in christ there is neither jew nor greek slave nor free in christ we are one all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And just as a mixed multitude came out with Moses, so too is God creating a mixed multitude for his kingdom that is made up of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And we've been learning that since we were this big. Because if you had any interaction with the church as a child, you learned to sing that Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Now, listen, as, as culture shifts, 
we, we, we may begin to, to, to recognize that even some of the words that we use might have been offensive or, or have become offensive today. But the concept is rich and deep. It doesn't matter what you look like, where you come from, who your mama is, who your daddy is. Jesus loves you just as you are, and deliverance is available for you. Salvation is full and free. The Exodus story is the, it's the most important story in all of Israelite history. It's the most important story in the Hebrew religion. If you were a Jew, nothing matters more to you than the Exodus. Because it is the creation of the Hebrew people. God sent them to Egypt where they would grow. But it was in the the expulsion from Egypt, that they would become codified into this one unit, God's chosen people. God had sown the seeds many years earlier with the promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. But you see, it was actually the exodus that was the fulfillment of those promises. They had believed in faith 500 years prior, but it's here that faith becomes reality. God is giving to them the promised land. This is what God's deliverance looks like. This is what God's salvation looks like. Sometimes it seems to be a long time coming, but when it arrives, it's miraculous, it's mind blowing, it's unbelievable, it's complete. And, and, and if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, I don't know that I can say anything to you that is more important than that. Your salvation is complete in Christ. You are saved, period. Full stop. End of story. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And when Paul said nothing, he used a Greek word there that meant nothing. See what I did there? It's funny, right? Nothing, no things. We live in an age of worry and concern. There may be things that will cause you worry and concern, folks. Take them to Jesus. But let me tell you this. It should never bring you worry or concern as to whether or not your salvation is full and free. When he saved you, he saved you, period, completely, totally. And then finally, God saves all who will come. What does this mean? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it means that there is nothing standing in your way. Absolutely nothing. God will save you today, miraculously, completely, and totally. So this morning... I ask you simply, will you come to Jesus? Listen, I'll be honest. Our, our, our parking lot crowd is, is small today. It's cold. I would suspect that we probably have a larger online crowd than is normal. Perhaps you're with us indoors or outdoors or online, and today is the first time that it's ever crossed your mind that if you were to die, you, you'd go to hell, that you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Perhaps it's never really clicked in your brain. 
that it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, that God will take you just as you are. That today can be the day of your salvation. So if you're with us, in person or online, and you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I ask you simply, will you come today? Will you come today? If you're here with us in person, Pastor Buster's inside, I'm out here, we'd love to pray with you. But if you're watching online, I want you to know that if you're sitting there at your kitchen table, on the couch in your den, or if you're watching clips of this in the parking lot while you wait on your grocery pickup, I want you to know, no matter where you are, what you've done, who you've been, God's salvation is for you. And God will save you today, completely, totally, miraculously. You say, Craig, there's no way. And I'm here to tell you that if the Egyptians will pay the Hebrews to leave, there is nothing in the way of God saving you from the pit of your sin and setting your feet on the solid rock that is Jesus Christ and making heaven your home today. If you're with us today, we'd love to pray with you. If you're at home, I want you to know that you can pray today, right now, to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will hear your prayer. And if you don't know how, just like this, Lord God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. God, will you save me today? Do you know that a simple prayer like that is a prayer that our God will hear? So I invite you today. Allow the Lord to do a miracle in your life. To bring you from death to life. To set you free from your sin. And to be joined to his family. Because regardless of who you are or where you've been, when you are saved by Christ, you become a child of the King and a brother or a sister with Jesus. And you become a part of the family of God. And we welcome you with open arms. Let me pray this morning. If you're with us in person, we'd love for you to come. We'd love to pray with you if you're at home pray that that prayer is a prayer that you've prayed. We'd love to hear from you in any way that we can care for you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for Jesus Christ and for his death on the cross that brings us salvation. I pray, Lord God, you'd be at work among us today. If there be any here today who do not know you, today would be the day of their salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with us as we sing.